Good morning, everybody. Would you stand to your feet? My name is Colin Stoddard. I'm the executive pastor of New Life East, and it's been funny watching you all play the, the who's preaching game. And it's you're like, oh, he, he's wearing, but, the, but he's not sitting in his right. So you think I don't know what you're doing, but I know. And you didn't leave. I'm so thankful. Before we launch into our message today, why don't we proclaim the Nicene Creed together, lift your voices. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made with the Father. Through Him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, everybody said. Amen. You can be seated. Pastor Andrew is in Wisconsin at the moment. He's spending a vacation there for Thanksgiving, so he will probably watch this service. So would you all just say hi to Pastor Andrew online? Wow, you guys missed him a lot. Oh, remind me never to leave. Oh my gosh, guys. Um, we're in the story of Ruth, the book in the Bible that is this refreshing little story that's sandwiched after seven chapters of spectacular in the Old Testament. And I love this story because I just love stories in general. And I think we as a culture are just drawn to stories, the climax, the pro protagonist, the antagonist, all those parts of the story that we are just, we're just drawn to that. But I think what we're really drawn to in, in stories is, is particularly spectacular stories. We want them that are a little bit larger than life, that remind us of uh, a world that's not this one. And I think of particular stories that are extra spectacular that stand out to us that have stood the test of time like this one right here. Everybody loves a good Star War. Am I right? Yeah. I was six years old when I saw Star Wars for the first time. Um, it, was, it was playing on TV and my dad was like, oh, get in here, get in here. You got to watch this. And I was like, even at six, I was like, what? The, the, what's the bear thing? And then the little bear things and but I know that there are nerds out there that are like, oh, the subplots of every single, this is just incredible. But here's a, if this is not your cup of tea, maybe this one is. We've got the blue people in Avatar. Y'all know that one. You know, the thing was that movie really wasn't all that great, but I think everyone was just so taken by the CG of it. You know, they're like, but they're blue people. I was like, well, go see the blue man group. You know, I was like, I don't understand what's so spectacular. This movie for us, this was... Uh, this is too much information, but you know me. Um, our, this was, our, was Jenna's birthing video. 
you're like, what? When Gabby was born, our doula was like, hey, before you go to the hospital, just watch a movie at home. It'll keep you from going to the hospital too early. And then you can just have a nice time watching the movie. And then after, that was her, one of her techniques. And we chose this one. And so Jenna's like, I think I'm good. I don't need to have a baby at all. It just it was so stressful. It just stopped birth altogether. Uh, anyway, sorry, that was too much information. That was free. Nine o'clock didn't get that one. How about the, this is a spectacular movie right here, everybody. The Incredibles. Yes. Guys, when Dash, he's so fast and he's running. This is my favorite part of the movie and it still makes me excited. He's running, he's running from the bad guys at the end of the movie and he gets to the water. But instead of like slowing down, he gets this look in his eye and he just like revs up his engines and just runs across the water. Have you not seen The Incredibles? Come on, don't you people have imaginations? And the water starts spraying up behind him and he just was running. He runs across. My roommates that I saw it with in college, I wasn't allowed to watch movies when I was a little kid except parts of Star Wars. So when we saw The Incredibles, I was like, that was so incredible. And they're like, would you be quiet? It was so good. So there's spectacular stories. And then, and then there's stories like this, which are not spectacular at all. Have you all seen the straight story? Well, it's a story that's very straight, just like the title says. And I'll, t- I'll tell you all about it. I'll tell you the whole movie. It just will take one second because it's not very spectacular. The straight story is about this old man who lives in this small town in Nebraska. And his brother is sick in the town that's 300 miles away. And he wants to go see his brother, but he doesn't have a car but it's no problem. He has a riding lawn tractor. So he sits on his riding lawn tractor and he drives it to the next town. And it's called a straight story. Oh, there's not a subplot or anything. It's called a straight story just because it's straight. The direction that he drives. Because it's Nebraska. Y'all ever driven to Nebraska? It's just straight. The whole... Guys... His lawn tractor, I'll, tell, I'll just tell you the story. It won't take long. His, tor- his lawn tractor breaks down. He gets it towed back to the farm. And he takes the lawn tractor and he puts it out behind the barn. And he shoots it with his shotgun. <laughs> Put it out of its misery, you know, like you do with things on the farm. But the movie's not over. Do you want to know why? Because he buys another lawn tractor. Back on the straight story, you know? All the way. You know what happens? He makes it. He sees his brother. And then the movie's over. And you're like, like, is there an epilogue? I was like, is there... 0.2, 0.2, 0.0 of this, nope. And it won all kind of awards, I don't know why. I think probably because, I mean, I, I do, truthfully. I sit there and I'm just like, I love riding lawn tractors. I love sitting on them. I like not having to turn the steering wheel sometimes. It's just because it's straight. It's not spectacular, guys. And I'm just here to tell you that's what's going on in the book of Ruth. We've got Genesis to Judges in the Old Testament, which is like, it's nothing. I mean, it's like, it's just like, it's nothing but flash and bang, and the world is created. And then we've got, just in seven days, that's amazing. That's so fast. We've got the Tower of Babel that comes, gets built up 
to the sky and then all the mass confusion because everyone speaks a different language. And then you just fast, keep fast forwarding the story. Then you've got Egypt and the Israelites, they're, they're like imprisoned in Egypt. And then you've got Moses and Aaron being like, let my people go. Our family's reading through those stories right now. And every time, like we just got to the story where, um, where God says he's going to strike the oldest of every family. He's going to strike them dead. And like, and like we've been re- like our, our, our kiddos are like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian. Because these stories are so, it's like, and that's what the Old Testament is. You've got to read the whole thing to know what exactly what is going on. And then we get judges. I mean, everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. That's what Ruth says about it. Like, this is spectacular, crazy, unrelatable. The world's not like that anymore. And then we get to, root, to the uh, chapter of Ruth, and it's like the brakes are just slammed on. We skid down. There's a different pace of life. Everything is different about Ruth from Genesis up to Judges. And then it's like, I like these parts of the movies where it's like, it's chaos, and the camera just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's like Google Earth, you know, and it's slowly zooming in. And there's a house on a plane, and the birds are chirping, and there's Pride and Prejudice soundtrack that's playing, and you're just like, ah, this is... And the story zooms in on Elimelech. If you've been following along with us, you kind of know the story, but I'll give you a, a preview anyway so that you know we're going. Ruth 1, Elimelech is this normal guy from Bethlehem, and he's married to Naomi, and it's really normal. Bethlehem is just little among the towns of Judah. That's literally what Bethlehem means. It's just little and ordinary, normal. It plays such an important part in the gospel story. He's married to Naomi, and they have two boys. who They moved because there was a famine in Bethlehem, so that's kind of bad. And then they moved to, to Moab, and they're there for 10 years. It's a good tenure. And Elimelech, and the two sons die. So it's normal sad, but it's sad. And then we have Naomi, who's like, I need to go back to Bethlehem. The famine, the famine is over there, so we'll go back to Bethlehem. But she's like, I've got to deal with these two daughters-in-law that at this point are just like dead weight. They are like baggage. And so she tries to white fang Orpah, like, go, get, get. And Orpah, well, it gets, uh, she gets white fanged and she goes, but Ruth, y'all seen White Fang? I'm like on a movie kick this morning. Okay, you know, it's like, go, get. So anyway, um, Ruth won't be White Fanged. And she's like, your people will be my people. And your, everything, your food, my food, all that. So she decides to stay. <laughs> Food's not involved in the story. That's a, the translation of Colin. But anyway, she stays with Naomi. And then in chapter 2, we see that they're settled back in Bethlehem. And uh, Ruth... They need food, so Ruth decides to go and glean, and it's harvest time, decides to go and glean. She happens to end up in the field of Boaz, and then in chapter 3, we learn that Boaz happens to be a relative of theirs. And so in chapter 3, we see Naomi acting like a Mrs. Bennett of Pride and Prejudice. You know what I mean? We're just like the most annoying person in the entire story who's like constantly conniving to like make sure she her girls look proper and are just in the right place at the right time so that the right men will notice them. And I'm just like, look, lady, stop it. But, but, Ruth, but she does that to Ruth. And if you heard Pastor Andrew's message last week, he's like, this is a good thing because we see in the whole story of Ruth that God answers his story, sometimes through our own agency of stepping into being the answers to our own prayers. And that's what happens. So Ruth goes, and she goes uh, in bizarre way during the darkness of night she dresses up all fancy and goes to where Boaz is at the threshing floor and she 
lays, symbolically lays down at his feet. And she says to him, she is like, you are next in line uh, to be our kinsman redeemer. And we didn't really focus on what kinsman redeemer means, but it just means this. A kinsman redeemer comes from uh, Leviticus, where there's a law that provides a leveret marriage. And a leveret marriage just means lever is the root word of that. It just means brother. It just means a brother marriage. And the, the, the verse in Leviticus is this. If one of your fellow Israelites become poor, sell some of their property, their nearest relative to come, and redeem what they have sold. And so she's evoking the leveret marriage, that here is somebody that's related to them. That's the, the coincidental miracle that she happens to have gleaned in the field of Boaz. And she says, would you take this upon you and redeem our family? And the story unfolds and shows Boaz's great integrity. He's upright. He could have taken advantage of Ruth in the darkness of the night, but he doesn't. He says, we're going to bring this negotiation into the light of day. Go home, and by the way, I'm going to gift you. Gives Ruth food, 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 and, and sends her on her way back to Naomi and meets Naomi, and Naomi says, I know that Boaz will not rest until this matter has been settled. And that's where we come upon them in the chapter 4. So, open your Bibles. Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to read it with the producer commentary. Man, I'm really on a movie kick this morning. <clears throat> Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate. This is where all of the... So it's like the town square. Decisions are made here. People of importance are here. It's like the gate of commerce. People are coming and going. They have their fields outside of the gate, but they're coming in t- into town to do their business. So this is where you're seeing... Their commerce business, not like their business business. They come into town just as the kinsman redeemer is passing by. He knows when the kinsman redeemer is coming along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. The NIV, this is an important place to pause because NIV does not really properly translate my friend. It's what Boaz calls this other kinsman redeemer. In Hebrew, what we see is not my friend, but really something quite the opposite. In Hebrew, we see uh, this word right here. Plony almoni. Would you say that? Plony almoni. And it means this. It means like, um, not just like, oh, what's her face? And not like, uh, like oh, I forgot his name. It's not like, an, it's not like a, a mind lapse. This means like, he whose name should go here. So you know like when we're doing legal documents and we would see John Doe is just a placeholder for our name? That's exactly what Ploni Almoni is in Hebrew legal documents. So where we would see, okay, John Doe, this is where I'm going to put my name. Hebrew, we read Ploni Almoni, this is where my name would go. So when Boaz calls him out, he doesn't say, oh, I can't remember your name. He says, hey, your name is supposed to go here. Are you going to put it in or not? You, right now, you are John Doe to us. You're just simply an opportunity that needs to be put in this spot if you're going to do it. Are you going to do it? So he calls this guy to attention, and then we see what happens. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. This shows us of Boaz's stature in the town, his ability to snap his fingers and put together a council. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, 
Plony Almoni. He tells him the story as if Plony Almoni does not already know. Plony Almoni is the closer one to Ruth and Naomi. If Boaz knows what's going on and he's a few steps removed, it's very likely that Plony Almoni knows exactly what's happening. So can you picture some of this patronizing conversation that Boaz is having with Plony Almoni? Saying, look, you may not know, Naomi, who came back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention because you clearly have not done anything about this, as you're right. I'm adding this in. I thought I should bring this to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, in the presence of the elders and my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you do not, tell me, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. I'll redeem it, he said. And Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead and his property. Another interesting thing about Guys, this is where the commentaries just slow down over this whole part of Ruth because there's just so much packed into it. There's another way to translate how the order of words is put in this verse, which is, you can redeem the land, and just like I read it, like NIV chose to, to interpret it, you can redeem the land, and you also acquire the Moabite. But there's also another way to translate it that says, you can buy the land, but either way, I'm going to marry Ruth. And so the interesting, either way, we see Boaz actively engaged in the story, looking out for the best interests of Ruth. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Oh, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. And now we see an explanation of what happens. This indicates that Ruth was likely written after these customs were not commonplace because it's actually explained what happened here. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. And also interesting, where do we see this like, where do we take, where do we see sandals coming off of shoes in the Old Testament? We see it when, when Moses is in the presence of God. What does God say? Take off your sandal. You're on holy ground. Take off your sandal. You're on my ground. So when there's barefoot on ground, that's the ground that is owned by the person. So God says, take your, take your sandals off. We're having a transaction here. This is my ground. It also happens in Joshua. Goes into the new land. And he's in the presence of the angel. And, and the angel says, take off your sandals when you're, when, you're, when you're in the presence. So this is, there's some Christology that's happening at this moment here. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Milan. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Milan's widow as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. And now everyone just celebrates like they've been waiting for this to happen. The elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, all the townspeople just begin to prophesy what's happened over this marriage. It's like everyone's just been waiting for it to happen. Who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and after, this is a side note, after 10 years of being barren, that's how long Ruth lived 
in Bethlehem for 10 years. They didn't have any other kids. After 10 years of being barren, she gives birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Naomi has been in a season of, of prayer, loss, and suffering. And we're seeing the answer to this prayer that she has been praying in the person of this son. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. She's even getting to raise her grandson. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And the importance of Ruth in the greater gospel story we're about to see in this next little section. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. In the first chapter of Matthew, we see the list of the next 28 generations. That brings us to the Messiah, Jesus. This little story is just tucked into the chaos and the spectacular of the Old Testament to show that this is where salvation comes from. There are the there are lots of characters in Ruth, and there are two in this specific chapter, chapter 4, at the close of this sweet story, that I want us to, to focus on momentarily, because they are two people that we can see ourselves in so clearly. We'll start with Plony Almoni, John Doe. His name never gets filled in. We never even know his name. His identity never even gets revealed. And what's sad is, like, he is closer in the line, direct descendant of the line of the lineage of Jesus. He's closer to it. Like, this is his by right, by birthright. He's born in the right family. He's born into the right place. Like, he has an opportunity to get into the story of Jesus. And instead, he's like tunnel vision, Everybody knows that Ruth, has moved, Ruth and Naomi have moved back to Bethlehem. Everybody knows. We see it in two places in Ruth. In Ruth 1, when Boaz comes upon the field and he says, who's that gleaning? And all of the workers are like, well, that's the lady from Moab. Don't you know that? We see it again in Ruth 3, when she's at Boaz's feet asking him to be the kinsman redeemer. And he says, Ruth, everybody in the entire village knows that you are a woman of noble character. There is no way that Plony Almoni did not know what was going on here. And he completely misses the boat, misses the opportunity to step into his own life, his own calling, his own. This was his. And he's concerned about the law. He knows the law in Leviticus 7. It goes like this I'll read it to you. Do not intermarry with them. He's talking about Moabites. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they'll turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. He, he knows this. He's like, she's a Moabite. 
I can't, I can't get involved with that. So no, this is going to be bad for my, this is bad. This looks really bad. This makes me look bad. I don't want to have anything to do with this. He thinks he's following the law. In his mind, he's justified. In his mind, he's doing the right thing. You know, I just think about the opportunities we have in life to treat outsiders, how we interact with them, you know. It's funny, in um, Spanish, there's not a, there's not a good interpretation of, of outsider. It's quite derogatory. I was talking to the pastors at Nueva Vida, and we're talking about how are they branding this, and talking through Ruth, and what are they calling it? And they just, they're calling it decisions, because outsiders is like, they're like, oh, we don't say that word. It's bad. So it has, it has those connotations. And also, it has connotations for our Western society now. It's like being like a mark, like a badge of honor, you know. I'm an outsider. No one tells me what to do. I'm a rugged individualist. I'm a, I'm a patriot. And I'm wearing a cowboy shirt, y'all. We just moved to, we built a little farmhouse in Rama. If you don't know where Rama is, that's how you say it. It's not Rama. I know you're not from around here if you say Rama. 20 minutes past Calhan. We go to Calhan to go into town. There's a, a little diner. Tyler's met me there. It's called Western Omelet 2. Western Omelet 1 is like in the big city, Colorado Springs. But we go to Western Omelet 2. If, uh, if you go in there not wearing a cowboy hat, people are like, it's like, it's like the saloon doors, you know, that just creak open. Well, I'm just trying to have an omelet, too. And I'm just sitting there and like, if you come in in the summer and you're wearing a felt hat, people are like, don't you know it's the summer? If you go in there in wintertime and you're wearing a straw hat, people are like, you are not with the pro-. If you're from Texas, do you know what that means? You only wear felt hats during certain times of the season and straw hats. That y'all are not from around here. And then I drive 20 minutes home after my omelet. And um, our closest public dirt road is like, it's almost half a mile from our house. And we get two or three cars a day that drive down the dirt road. And you can tell when they're coming one of two ways. The first way is that you see the plume of dust that just starts and you can follow it along. And then depending on how loud my dog barks, you can tell if it's a neighbor or not. Because she just posts herself sentry, like right, pretty far from the house, but she just watches, she sits there. She's an Australian shepherd, but she thinks that she's like a hyena from hell. <laughs> she's like, this is her duty. Not just to protect, but just to kill. And um, y'all, she really is a little terror. 35 pounds of pure fury. And like, it's great if you're on her side, but if you happen to be between, like, between her and one of our children, that's the death zone. And she will end you. But if you're like, so, and she, I mean, most of the time you can call her off and all this, and they're like, stop and stop. But the UPS doesn't, UPS man doesn't know that. So he just drives up and, and like, Callie, that's her name. We needed to name her more like Killer. But she comes up to the tire and she's like acting like she's going to rip the tire off the UPS man's truck. And so he looks outside, he gets into the van and he grabs the package and he cracks his window like this and he throws it. <laughs> So we don't, we don't order anything valuable because you know it's just going to like have a long flight path. So, I'm, so back in June, I'm, I've got our camper out, and it's, we're about to go on a trip, and so I'm working on the camper on the driveway. 
And first I hear Callie. She starts growling and barking. And I'm like, okay, it's one of three times today she's going to do that in the car. I see the plume. Callie's like, rah, 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 rah. She's getting warmed up. And I'm just looking at her. Well, the car gets to our driveway and it slows down. I pause what I'm doing just to look. I'm trying to just like gauge my level of concern. The car turns in to my driveway. Y'all, I moved to Rama for a reason. Starts, and now my dog was like, I've been, I've been waiting for this. Tears down the driveway. She's going to tear the tire off that car. And the, the, the car did not get the message. They kept coming. They drive up the drive, and they're slow because they don't want to run over killer. And they're driving, driving. And, and at this point, I'm like, do I look like I, And I was like, I had something to do, you guys. I had to, we're about to leave on this camping trip. I have stuff I'm starting to do. So I like start, but I'm also a little bit alarmed. No one, come, no one just stops in because I'm like, we live too far for the Jehovah's Witnesses. And we're like, and I'm not expecting anybody. So, so like, they're driving up, and I start doing, like, the mental thing in my head, you know. I'm like, okay, I've got, checking my escape routes. It's like, I've got the garage gun. And then if I, then there's the laundry room gun. And then there's the pantry gun, and then the backup pantry gun. And by the time I remembered where all the guns were, the car stops. And my dog was like, are you not seeing what's going on? And she's at the door, the driver. And the driver's door opens. And I'm like back by the camper. And this pleasant young lady, and over the din of our dog, peers her head over the door. The door. She goes, I'm sorry. I just wanted to tell you your house is beautiful. It's like, forgive me, Lord. I have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I was like, I am so sorry. She's like, why are you sorry? <laughs> you don't know how I've judged you in my heart. Plony Almoni. I don't have time. I have to get my camper ready. I would really rather be left alone today. Thank you very much. And then you have Boaz. Y'all know who Boaz is? Like in the story of Jesus, do you know who he is? Well, his son of Rahab. Do you remember who Rahab was? Rahab. You know what Rahab means? A wide road fitting for her profession as a prostitute. And she is in Jericho. The spies come in. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Wow, you're about to sing it at his 9 o'clock. No. Jer but, she, but when the walls came down, crumbling down after seven days of the go around, her tower did not crumble. Why? Because the spies gave her the red cord and all her family. And guys, what a defining moment for this family. When Israelite comes in, sets a trajectory for Boaz. He now finds himself wealthy, older businessman in Bethlehem established in the community, employing people, known as this kinsman redeemer, man of integrity, doesn't take advantage of Ruth, but waits for the right time, brings it into the light of the day. Boaz a good man. Boaz is completely willing to be inconvenienced. When it comes to the law, 
He knew the law, and he also knew the second part of this Levitical law. It reads like this in Deuteronomy chapter 10. For the Lord your God is a God of gods, and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners. Foreigners, For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Was there a law? Yes, the law wasn't put in place to protect the people so that the Moabite wouldn't bring their gods in. That's a good thing. But what's a greater thing is when you see the people that the law was meant for. That's what Boaz is doing. He's like, we'll follow the law. We'll do this right. We'll do a true kinsman-redeemer marriage. We'll follow the law, and we'll also see the person in the middle of it. That's what Boaz does. Boaz, a good man. You know, um, when we were when we were building our house, I had a commute between Peyton. We were living with my in-laws. They're so gracious. Between Peyton and um, my office at New Life North. So when I'd be driving to my office every morning, I'd pass. I'd go through, drive through Peyton, and I'd drive the back way through the trees. It's real pretty. And I'd drive on Murphy Road. And I start seeing this cute little farmhouse start being built. And I start taking notice because we're about to build a house. I start seeing it take shape. Is there an Air Force game today? Is it football season? <laughs> I love the sports. <laughs> Thanks for laughing at me, Rory. I really appreciate that, dude. And so I'm passing this house. I start getting, seeing it get built. I start recognizing which trucks are there more than often. I just take special notice because there's pristine 2006 F-250. It sits a little lift in the front. sits nice and squatty, but it's always beautiful clean. So I'm admiring this truck. Then the house starts going up. White metal siding, black roofs, cute little cupola on the top. And one day, I was like, I was like, I'm about to build a house. This is so cute and inspiring. I'm going to find out who lives there. So one day, the truck that I keep recognizing is sitting in the backyard. And instead of driving past like I do, I pulled in. I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to, I'm going to find out who owns this house. I pull around to the back, park next to the pristine truck. It's still kind of a construction site. So I was like, I can act like I'm a contractor. We're snap-ups. And I get out and I go to the door, and I don't even knock. And I push the sliding glass door open. And I, and I say, hello. And up in the scaffolding, it's a great room, there's a guy, and he's perched on the top of the scaffolding, and he's got his pouches on, hard at work. He's holding electrician's pliers in his mouth, wiring nuts, and he's wiring can, like, can lights into the ceiling. And he looks down at me, and I say, you do not know who I am, but I drive past your house every day, and I just, I just, I wanted to stop to see if I could meet you. And he says, hold on, hold on, hold on. He stands up, he takes the can light, puts it on the scaffolding, he takes off his, his tool pouches, and he climbs all the way down off the scaffolding, he takes off his glove, and he's like, I'm Josh Utsi. And I said, I'm Colin Stoddard. He gave me two hours, walked through all his house, showed me the upstairs, showed me the downstairs, laid the plans out on the table. Tell me what you're going to do with your house. Guys, we, after we left, we exchanged numbers. Not only did he let me inconvenience him, but two years later, he was out at my house all day yesterday putting, my, putting the roof on my barn. Would you look at this? 
That's Josh Duty. That's a kinsman redeemer right there. Chris Brolick, too, he came over. Many of you guys have been over at my house saying, I'll be inconvenienced. What do you need? You kind of interrupted my schedule of putting can lights into the house. And if I don't finish that, I might not have my electric inspection pass tomorrow. But what do you need? And he's sitting right over here this morning, Josh. Your good friend. Guys, there is... There's a hidden parts of all of our stories, you know? A hidden part of this story is that their friend, Lisa Hewitt, has been, ever since they started building the house, been praying for the, the Utes, plug back into church, find a community that they can belong to. And two years later, after I'm driving by their house every day, God sends them the pastor. <laughs> says, oh, I hear that prayer. Why don't I send someone who actually works there to give you an invitation? And there are stories like that all over this room of ways that you guys have just had your eyes open to see the things that God is doing around you. So my challenge this morning is just this. Who in the story are you? Are you Plony Almoni who has an opportunity that's laid out in front of you? but you've got your blinders on because you don't want to see it. Some of you don't even want your story told. I think that's the, that's the other part of this. Like, there's times where I've met with someone and I hear their story and it's just like full. And they don't know the end of it yet. Nobody does. I think that's the beauty of the book of Ruth. We don't know that the story's over. Even until 28 generations later, we still don't know the end of this. Ruth didn't know the end of the story is what I'm trying to say. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know, and you're looking around, you're being like, ah, screw this. I, maybe I've been written out of the salvation, not just the salvation, maybe I've been written out of my own story, you know. But Plony Almoni is written, and your name is just waiting for you to put it in. Are you going to stand, are you going to receive the calling that God has given you? Like, are you going to grab it? Last Sunday, Pastor Andrew talked about, like, maybe, maybe the human agency, maybe it's just you. Are you going to take the next step into the next step of, being the answer to your prayer. Maybe this is just this. Like, where are you? Maybe it's just right in front of you. Love your family. Wave at your neighbor. Maybe it's as simple as that for you. It can be said this way. You guys, we want to see our hand in the spectacular. We always look. You know, we always think, the slide reads like this. Can you put it up for me, Matt? If you're looking for the spectacular and your answers to prayer, you just might miss the hand of God. His answer might be in the inconvenient, unlikely person sitting right next to you who shows up at your door. Would you just watch for it? Mother Teresa says this, like, do you really want to change the world? Go home and love your family. Start with that. Can you do that? There's a, as we make the turn and come to communion, I'm going to read this poem to you, band, you can make your way to the stage. But this poem is written by Mary Oliver, and it just talks about, like, like, how do we just, how do you see yourself in your story, you know? And um, this is not the gospel, but this is a lovely way to say this. So open your hearts and receive this. You do not have to be good 
You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Well, tell me about despair, yours, and I'll tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. You have a place. You have a place in this church. You got a place in your family. You got a place in the salvation story. That's the beauty. God can take it. Would you not be Plony Almoni? Would you be Boaz? Would you stand together? There's a confession part of this story as well. As I have just confessed <laughs> to you about my terrible attitude towards my neighbor who one time trespassed across my lawn at Halloween. Give him extra Halloween candy. <laughs> would, you, would you pray this prayer of confession with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have done, left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And Scripture says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive us all unrighteousness. So I'm here to tell you this morning that if you do that, you are forgiven. You have a place in the family of God. We're going to sing one of my favorite parts of this song that just says, it says, I am, I'm chosen. I'm a child of God. If, you need, if you're looking for a name to fill in the blanks this morning, just start with that. That I'm a child of God, and I want to actively engage in my own story this morning. As we sing, would you ask God to give you vision and clarity for what that is? Maybe it's just, maybe you've been thinking about things that are too lofty, too, maybe you've been looking for too spectacular. Just appreciate being in the family of God this morning and look for the things that God is doing around you. Would you sing today? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you 
the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We're going to step into a time where we eat the bread and drink the juice together, a time of communion. And what's so pertinent about this moment is that the Lord's table for thousands of years has been the place where the outsiders were welcome. Where the people who felt furthest from God, where the people whose lives had fallen into pieces were then invited to sit with the Savior of the world and to remember all that he has done. He did that the very first time, the night that he was betrayed. He sat with his friends, his, his closest friends, and, and he took some bread and he broke it. I want to invite you to take the bread right now and simply break it in your fingers. He broke that bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Every time you eat, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and eat the bread. That same night, he took wine, which we have represented here as, as juice. He, he took it, he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. For all of you who are on the outside, for all of you who feel like you have been forgotten, for all of you who have been lost within your own story, this is for you. Take and drink this morning. Let us respond in faith by singing the doxology. Would you spread your hands in front of you to receive the benediction this morning? God sees you. He knows your story, even if you don't know the broken pieces of it. Just like Ruth and Naomi destitute as they've gone back to Bethlehem, they're, they don't know where the next meal is going to come from. They're empty-handed. And in the person of Boaz, God answered their prayer, and he gave to them in abundance. Not only did he do that, but he saved the world through the person of Jesus, through their simple decisions or disobedience. So would you just receive this week what God has for you? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he caused his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'd like to ask our altar ministry to come forward and to 
join and partner with you in prayer for anything that you might need. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving week, eating lots of turkey and giving thanks. We'll see you next Sunday.